Hi, I'm Don Fry, President and CEO of the Independent Beauty Association. And to me, it's a matter of passion. Most of us spend the better part of our adult life actively building a career. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. All that dedication results in extensive skills, deep knowledge, and overflowing Rolodexes. When it comes down to it, most of us have a basic desire to do good and feel that we're making a positive contribution. A genuine investment in social responsibility means everybody wins. With a career over 35 years, with a career of over 35 years in the beauty industry, spanning big beauty conglomerates and indies like Method and The Honest Company, Don Fry embodies the spirit of paying it forward. In his current role as president and CEO of the Independent Beauty Association, better known as IBA, he is committed to education and advocacy for independent businesses in the beauty ecosystem. So Don, thank you for joining us today. It's nice to see you sort of outside of the context of our IBA meetings. Very good to see you too, Kelly. Happy to be here. Over your 35 years in the beauty industry, you've spent time in the world of big beauty with Procter & Gamble, CoverGirl, Gillette, and Avon, as well as startups that have scaled like Method and most recently in your position as Chief Innovation Officer at The Honest Company. What do you think are some of the most significant shifts that you've seen in the beauty industry in the past 35 years? I know that's a big question, but why not start big, right? (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, You know, I think the biggest thing is just the number of players has just exploded. You know, back when I started there, you know, there really was only a few big players that really dominated everything. And now... And even the the retailing space was totally different back then. You really didn't have Sephora's and Ulta's and all that other stuff. And now you look at where the industry is and it's just all about proliferation. And also, I think it goes to this kind of being able to focus on people that weren't ever represented before, too. Everything was very much focused towards the mass middle. And now this is a big difference that we're seeing is that all sorts of brands get represented and all sorts of people get represented in what they're looking for. Yeah, you know, you sort of spent the back end of, I'm going to call it your brand career at indie brands that reached some pretty significant scale. Method was acquired and Honest Company went public. So I guess at some point in your career, you sort of shifted from big beauty to kind of the startup world, but startup at scale is a very different thing. With that sort of background, because Method and the Honest Company feel like they've been around a while now, but they were sort of this first wave of D2C kind of digitally focused indie brands. And I feel like we've evolved so much from even that. What do you think about this new crop of indie brands? I think it's really interesting. I think the challenge that we're seeing in the industry, though, is that at IBA, we have not just brands, but we also have all the service providers that work with these brands. And and that's what I think we're hearing so much of is people are coming in and they think, oh, it's so easy to just launch a brand and create a product. And they don't realize how complex it is and what's involved to make a product and have a product be stable. And, you know, I think people think, oh, I have this idea and I can come in and just like in two months, it'll be on the marketplace. And it's so much more complicated than that. So I think that's an interesting thing that's happened with this proliferation of brands is you really need to kind of understand you have people who aren't beauty professionals 
that are playing in the beauty space. Uh, and so that's an interesting evolution. And I think it's bringing new ideas, but I think it's also bringing challenges to the industry. Yeah. I want to really sort of take some time to dig into this next stage of your career. So last year, you made a big change, assuming the position of president and CEO of the Independent Beauty Association. What was your impetus to move into the nonprofit world? You know, I'd been on the board of IBA for a while. And then when Ken Moranis, the previous president, announced that he was looking to retire, it gave me an opportunity to kind of sit back and look like, you know what? I've had a really good career in the beauty industry. And also, you know, as you pointed out, I started in big companies and moved to smaller companies. And I have this real passion for helping smaller companies do something different. And so to me, it would just became that opportunity to do a little give back and still be in the industry and stay active. If you look at my career, I've, I've kind of come into places and when there was something that needed to be fixed up or redirected, that's kind of where I've had my focus. And it seemed like IBA was at that point as well in this post-pandemic world, how an industry association works. You have to rethink things. And so it's a really opportunity for me to take on something that I thought was personally and professionally challenging, but also a way to give back to the industry that's been a big supporter of my career and made me successful over all these years. Yeah. So in full disclosure, I've been a member of IBA, formerly ICMAD, for over two decades and have the pleasure of serving on the board with Don. I'm with you. I think that there's so much this organization can do. And honestly, it's one of the best kept secrets in the beauty industry. I have always on the advisory side of my business, it's the first thing I tell people who want to enter the business is like, you have to become a member of this organization. So I'm hoping today, I'm going to put my board hat on and my membership committee hat on. So let's try and change um, the secret that is IBA, because it really is a tremendous resource, especially for people just getting started, but even for brands that sort of have scale. So can you share the mandate and the work of the organization for us? Sure. We work on a number of different platforms and help to support people. One of the first platforms is education, and that's making sure that people who are working in the industry understand various aspects of regulations in the industry. Also, what's, what are the best practices when it comes to testing? What are the best practices when it comes to now supply chain and sustainability? So that's a big piece of it. Advocacy is also something that's really important. It's so easy for lawmakers and regulators to look at things and, and say, oh, well, you just have to fill out this form now and you have to add this. But, you know, when you're working with smaller and independent brands, those things all add up and they cost people money and it makes it difficult for those brands to compete. And also it can be a barrier to innovation and kind of moving things forward when you look at some of the regulations that happen. So one of the jobs we do is we make sure that we have a place at the table and inform legislators and regulators of what the impacts of these things can be so that they understand. And we provide that voice for all the brands and companies that we work with. So networking is another benefit that we provide to people. And I think that's both for their personal networking as well as networking for companies. So how do we connect people who are looking for, my business has grown now, I need a larger contract manufacturer, or I, I'm looking for a different packaging supplier, or even I need some help when it comes to you know, my IP and what's a law firm that I can work with. And so we help connect those people together so that it builds businesses on both sides. And lastly, the thing I've come to really appreciate is 
that being a member of IBA offers people an opportunity for a professional development. You know, by volunteering on our committees, it really gives people the opportunity to interact with people from other companies, to kind of understand what are some of the bigger issues that are in the cosmetics industry. It gives them the opportunity to organize events and do things that they might not be able to do in their regular work. So it's something that I hadn't really recognized before, but it's really a a big benefit. And it's also a benefit to the member companies because... If you're a smaller company, you don't necessarily have these huge HR departments that do trainings and provide that kind of development. And so this gives you a way to identify those employees in your organization that you're looking to grow and develop and make them better. And by having them participate in IBA, it gives the companies those opportunities to provide that development as well as helps the individual person grow. Yeah, I know that I've always leaned on the organization when it came to opening new markets and helping navigate sort of what it takes to enter a new market. Certificates are free sale, like the paperwork, you can literally drown in the paperwork and it can be quite complex. And I mean, for years, that was the only sort of thing I used IBA for, but it was a huge, as a small business, like, you know, where else was I going to get that resource? So I kind of feel like the organization is like, if you have a question about your business, there's a good chance someone at IBA can point you in the right direction. That's a really good point, Kelly. It's what we call our concierge services. If you do have a question, you know, give it to us and we will hunt out the right resource for you. And even for things like the certificates, you know, as I've been working with that team, these certificates are very complicated. And actually, how you fill them out for this country is a little bit different than how you want to fill them out for this country. And so they've learned these kind of tips and tricks that they can pass on to people so that they can make sure that people are the most efficient possible when they're filling out their certificates and do things like, oh, you know what, add as many products as you can think you would ever want to market to your list because you don't have to turn in the formulas right now. You don't have to do this. And this gives you that flexibility to grow your business in the future. So, you know, that kind of advice is really helpful. And that's something that we really strive to give to people is go that extra yard. You know, I think over the past decade, it feels like the launch of new brands and products is in overdrive. I think many of these new brands embrace the tenets of clean beauty and transparency. But as we know, clean beauty is a rather nebulous concept. And I also feel like the barrier to entry for launching a brand, it really, it's never been lower in my estimation. It's pretty easy to get goop in a jar and set up a website. But I think with that has come a little bit of, and because there are so many people that have launched brands outside of the industry or from the industry, but not really maybe having touched the tech rag development side of the industry, that if you scratch the surface, a lot of these brands are not technically compliant. Doesn't mean they're not safe. I mean, it might, but they are not sort of checking all the boxes. From someone with deep experience in research and development, What is your perspective on sort of the state of indie beauty and sort of what do brands need to be mindful of when they're sort of launching into market? If you look at these brands that are launching, let's just be very honest, is that they're all looking to get bigger, get acquired. They're looking for a big payday at the end of the the line. 
you know, there's so much work that goes into the uh, launching a brand and people put their blood, sweat and tears into this. What you don't want to do is go through all that work and then to your point, find out that, oh, I'm actually using a chemical that's a Prop 65 chemical and it needs a disclosure on the label that I haven't been putting on there. And this can happen as brands get to that point where they're just they're going for, you know, a new series of money raising or whatever, and they start to get involved with some venture capital firms that are doing a little bit deeper dive. And they'll look at things like that. It's like, are you compliant? Are your claims legitimate? And so, you know, these brands can go and get built off of these concepts and formulas and only to find that when it comes time for real scale, they're not ready for prime time. And so it's something I think brands need to pay attention to is you got to start from the beginning and make sure you're playing by the rules. You got to do things and make sure you understand those rules from the very beginning because you don't want to build your business on a house of cards. You don't want to have it tumble down on you as things get deeper. You want to make sure that you're building in those fundamentals from the very beginning because it's hard to go back and change them and fix things over. That's something really important for people to understand just because it's not difficult to get goop in a jar and sell it on the internet doesn't mean that that's still the right thing to do. It's still right to make sure you're paying attention to things. I think even, you know, you talk about raising money, but it's also as simple as just opening retail distribution because now retailers at a bare minimum, they're going to require some form of insurance and MSDS sheets. And some of these brands are literally being made in, in the kitchen. I think that even before you get to raise money, to reach any kind of scale, you have to sort of have the rigor or know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, and retailers have become very savvy about this. I mean, they have their own regulatory departments that should look into things and stuff like that because it's a liability to them. If they're selling a product that is unsafe, they don't want their customers to have that experience. Even if it's a product that isn't compliant, you know, it reflects badly on them whenever they're putting their name on your brand as well by having it in their store. And so it reflects on them whatever the brands do or don't do well. Yeah. You know, the roots of IBA have historically been sort of in the tech reg kind of environment. But the clean beauty movement, I want to dig into it a little bit because, you know, it's largely grounded in the messaging that U.S. laws regulating the beauty industry haven't been updated since 1938. This is sort of like the crux of an argument for more regulation. And I also feel that the clean beauty movement has also sort of become a bit of a culture war. And it's become a very binary conversation grounded in ingredients that are either good or bad, where most ingredients probably live in the gray area of it depends how they're being used and how much is being used. And that part of the equation requires some sophistication and knowledge around science and formulation. But a lot of that doesn't really find its way into this conversation. Can you share a little bit about the lobbying work that IBA does on the behalf of the entire industry, not just our members, and also your thoughts on this sort of clean beauty battle? One of the things that we really try and make sure we stay focused on, to your point, is the science. And you talk about the, the culture wars. I look at it as almost like the internet wars. It's the information wars that are going on out there. <laughs> True. <laughs> There's all sorts of like bad science that's being promoted or non-scientific things that are being promoted to your point that's like this ingredient's bad or that ingredient's bad. And 
and a lot of it is just not based in true science. And so I think you have to separate those two things. And as much as possible, one of the things we try and stay focused on is what is the reality? What is the safety of a material? What's its impact on the environment? Where does it go after it's used? And and make sure that we're really controlling things based on that kind of good science, you know. And so when it comes to advocacy, that's where, you know, we will sit down at the table with legislators and explain to them what's happening. I mean, I was just in a meeting yesterday, we were giving an update to the New York Department of Environment about uh, 1,4-Dioxate and kind of what's happening in that and how it's affecting products. And so it's important that you have those kinds of information flows for transparency, as well as for the reality of dealing in the world. I mean, you start to look at some of these regulations that are happening. I just saw something of a proposed regulation from in the EU, and it was like, is there anything but water that would comply with this? You know, it's like you can get to a point where you start to regulate yourself out of being able to have meaningful products. And so that's where, you know, there's this balance that comes in there. You can go over clean, go clean crazy. You start to, you know, see that you just can't give people the products that they need. You know, there's all sorts of debates right now about various sunscreen ingredients. Yet we know the importance of sunscreens for promoting skin health in terms of avoiding uh, skin cancer. And yet now there's all sorts of things like you hear chemical sunscreens are bad. And now there's also mineral sunscreens are bad about this and that. And so it's like, but what's the alternative? And so you have to look at the risk management here because sometimes you get to this point where people are looking at zero risk. It's just not pragmatic. You just have to look at the fact that, you know, water has its issues, you know, (laughs) not any ingredient is 100% safe. And you need to understand that and look at what's the benefit that some of these ingredients provide versus the very potential for risk is, I mean, that's, I think what we've got down to with so many of these things, it's not even a demonstrated risk. It's there, there might be a potential for risk if you do this the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, I also think that anytime you're talking about legislation, when it's presented in the media, they're sort of like the talking points, right? But then usually this legislation, there are really deep implications to businesses, both on sort of a regulatory level, a financial level that really don't get talked about. And I think that it is important that the big beauty brands are going to take care of themselves. They have big legal teams, like they're all good. And I think like collectively, as sort of independently owned beauty brands, we all need to get on the same page and look out for ourselves as a community. And so what advice do you give to people? Because it's very, as with all things political, there are two sides, there's spin on both sides. It's very easy to say, yes, I think everyone can agree, like we want to create safe products. Beauty brands don't want to harm anyone. That's not the business we're in. That's bad business. But how can we all get on the same page to collectively take care of our businesses as well, instead of just kind of like jumping on the marketing bandwagon? Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, Kelly, because regulations, there are implications and costs to these regulations, and we need to be aware of those. And and that's part of what we try and make people aware of. And, And some of it even just becomes, you know, when you have laws passed in different states that can become 
contradictory to each other. Whereas, like, can I sell the same product in California that I'm selling in Washington and be compliant in both states? Is That can be a real challenge that people are looking at. And we're seeing the same thing internationally. And that's in particular for smaller companies. It's like you need to be able to sell your the same product across multiple geographies in order to make the economics work. And so that's how you get to this harmonization and making sure that you can sell products in, across different countries across different states is really important, particularly for small companies, for the smaller people in the industry. So that's where we do need to band together and really look and say, like, how do we protect that? And it's interesting that we've heard some feedback that there were some labeling regulations that France was looking at that was, again, going to kind of almost prevent you selling the same labeled product in France, as well as in Italy and some other places in the EU. And the industry pushed back hard enough that now they're understanding some of that. And they're like, okay, we understand we can't have a product that's only sold here in France and can't be sold other places. So there is reality that comes in, but we just need to make sure we advocate for it and that we inform people for it because people don't want to be unreasonable, but if they don't know, it's so easy to kind of, to your point, get on the bandwagon of like, oh, well, obviously this will help. It will make things safer, you know, and you, you look at some of these things and I would argue, you know, it's like, has some of the California regulations, has that made Californians any safer than other people, you know, people who are consuming products in other states? I'm not sure because at some point now it just becomes background noise where you don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. When we talk about sort of the regulatory world, people kind of like shut off because it's not sort of the sexy part of the business, but it is, if you're not compliant, you are not in business. So it is really important thing to understand. And IBA is a great resource for that. We want to take this opportunity to share an organization that matters to us. Pact Collective is a nonprofit on a mission to make beauty packaging more sustainable. Did you know that more than 120 billion beauty packages are produced every year, and most of them end up in landfills or in our oceans? If you're a beauty brand, supplier, or retailer, you can join them by becoming a member today. You'll get access to exclusive education and webinars, networking with other brands, and participation in PAC's hard-to-recycle packaging collection programs. Check out packcollective.org for more information. Together, we can end packaging waste in the beauty industry. I want to move on to something that is, I don't think it's a trend. I think it's a movement at this point. It's one of the places where I think you've already made an imprint on the organization. And that is sort of expanding the breadth of what IBA covers to really focus on sustainability and supply chain. Because sustainability is a big topic. It is systemic and it's in its very nature and it's very complicated. So can you share some of the work that IBA is doing sort of around sustainability? Sure. Actually, we have a Supply Chain and Sustainability Summit coming up later this month where we're going to go deep into all sorts of things like what are best practices for responsible sourcing? How do you measure sustainability? What are the different things? How do you even unravel you know, the acronyms of sustainability, ESG, LCA, PCR? What do all these things mean and how do you kind of navigate through that? 
And then what's pragmatic in terms of sourcing? And one of the things I think as we were preparing for the summit, we started to talk with various people about sourcing. You know, there's all sorts of things that people are aware of, like how the war in the Ukraine has affected the availability of some raw materials, what's happening in Indonesia and what can happen with palm kernel oil and, and some of these things. These are all starting materials that become finished ingredients. But there's also really interesting stuff that you didn't even think about, like how climate change is affecting other things in, in, in terms of raw material sourcing. For example, like jojoba, because there's drought in some areas, there's not enough jojoba seeds to both process for oil as well as plant the next year's crop. And so it like affects things like that or that the rivers in the EU are at lower levels so that barges can only be loaded at 70% of capacity. And barges are where all the factories that manufacture raw materials get their raw materials in and out of is on these rivers. And so that's affecting the availability of materials as well. And that's like, that's like a third or fourth degree down type of thing. I know it's crazy. It's crazy how knowledgeable we've had to become not only for transparency reasons, but also from a practical reasons of like just getting products on the shelf. And the thing is, we've gotten into sustainability and supply chain is it's really gotten us into the, all aspects of the companies because then you're starting to affect forecasting, which this is affecting sales. ESG is a big part of company valuations now. And so looking at all these things, it really does start to touch all aspects, not just the scientific aspects of companies. And so I think it's been exciting for us at IBA to really expand so that we're very much more holistic in terms of understanding, providing understanding and tools for companies to be able to succeed, whether they're on the supply side, whether they're like the contract manufacturers or whether they're the brands and how all those things interplay together. What advice would you give to early stage beauty businesses or entrepreneurs sort of contemplating launching a brand? Sort of a weird time to be asking this question given sort of the uncertainty, but I kind of feel like when there are crises or economic uncertainty, sometimes those are impetuses for creating those innovative brands. And I kind of felt like in the pandemic, that was certainly the case. I think sort of economic uncertainty also has a bit of a culling effect of brands that don't really have a reason for being are no longer around because people have to make hard choices. So, you know, we are at sort of an interesting intersection of, I think, both of those things happening. You've worked in the industry, you've gone through sort of economic cycles, trend cycles. You know, what would your advice be for entrepreneurs in this moment? So the thing that entrepreneurs bring is a certain naivete, right? They Because they're not constricted by some of the rules of past history. And so they take that opportunity to look at things differently and provides a fresh perspective. When you do that, what you then need to do is balance that by getting advice from people who have been in the industry and understanding, okay, there may have been reasons in the past why that hasn't happened. And sometimes those are not real good reasons and it's right to break that rule. Right. Other times there are real good reasons. And so it's, you know, and so you shouldn't be breaking that rule. And so I think that's the the one piece of advice I would give to, to small companies is anyone starting out is 
seek advice from knowledgeable people. Become a member of IBA where you can get information, you know, at an affordable price. But also, you know, find a good regulatory consultant that can look at things and make sure your label is properly done. Have someone who's going to advise you on claims so you don't get yourself into trouble and look at some of those things. So you don't have to spend a lot of money doing those things, but I think finding the right experts and tapping into them is the smartest thing you can ever do because that allows you to maintain your unique opinion and unique point of view, but then also to make sure that you don't kind of make rookie mistakes. That's the one thing it's just so painful every once in a while when you look at a company and you're like, oh, no, why did they do that? I know. I think one of the funniest examples of that is indie beauty brands always like to work around the UPC code because it's ugly, right? So it's aesthetically not pleasing. They don't really need it, whatever. I remember, I can't remember who we had in supply chain and I asked this question and he was like, please, please, please put a UPC code on your product. But it is really those like simple things that you may not truly feel the impact of how important they are until you realize the impact of how important they are. I'll give an example from my own history of way back when I was working on a brand and we launched a new package for mascara that was a square mascara tube. And it was beautiful and elegant and everything else like that. The problem was the inside of the package was also square. And so when you pulled the brush up through the wiper, all the product went into the corners of the mascara tube and weren't available to use. And so it was as if the product was gone in, you know, like 10 applications. Uh, and, you know, and we went through this whole development process. And afterwards, you look at it like, well, of course, that was just stupid. Why did we not understand that? But the designer who worked on it was an industrial designer who had worked on cosmetics before and just didn't understand, you know, how the product ends up working. And so those are the kinds of mistakes. It's like you afterwards, you're just like, what were we thinking? It's so easy to make those mistakes. I know. I think even, even people who have been in the industry, I think sometimes you, I don't know whether you forget common sense in sort of the attempt of innovation. <laughs> sometimes I like to think you don't make those kind of rookie mistakes, but they still happen. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they do. You've sort of just gotten started with IBA in this new capacity. You know, what is your vision for the organization and, and how can people get involved? One of the things that's great about IBA is we're not big. So there's a lot of opportunities for people to get involved and to have a voice. And, you know, it's one of the things that I found why I started gravitating to smaller and smaller companies in my career was the impact that you as an individual can have in a smaller organization is much larger. And so it's the same thing when people become members of IBA. It's like you can have influence, you can have a real voice and you can be heard and you can, and you can talk to real people and get real information. So that's an important thing. And I'm very excited about IBA, again, being this holistic support to the companies and the independent beauty space is go beyond the tech reg and really help the whole ecosystem develop and flourish. It's been so exciting to me that I've been just under three months now. And almost every week I have a different company that comes to me about a particular partnership where it's like, oh, we can do this and we can work with your members and provide these sorts of benefits and we'll, we'll give them a discount for this. And so I think, you know, the sky's kind of the limit because 
it's so dynamic what's happening in the industry and this space is where all the fun stuff is happening you look at this it's like the big brands are struggling to innovate and struggling to do anything you know that provides growth they're getting their growth by buying independent brands and you know the exciting and the fun stuff is happening in this independent space and so that's what i just have excitement about the possibilities of what we can do and get more brands involved and and make more things happen and connect people. I think it's this connecting of people is such an opportunity for small brands is to, again, learn from other people, be able to talk with other people and get some experiences so that you're doing stuff that's really innovative, but also that you're doing it in a smart way and you're able to be successful more quickly. Yeah, I also think the nice thing about IBA is it's sort of right-sized for smaller brands. So a lot of trade organizations, and IBA has been around a long time, but they feel a little inaccessible, right? So you get the benefits, but you don't really feel part of the organization. IBA has really been built on the passion and of people like you who want to give back and really commit their time to make the industry better, but also lend a hand to people who are newer in the industry. And so I, I think that those sort of opportunities in the beauty industry, they're kind of few and far between. And I think, you know, we have these events and they're they're intimate events. I mean, you know, it's like we had a networking event at Cosmoprof in Vegas, and it was just a very fun event. And it, you see people coming in, it's almost like high school reunions where, you know, people are coming and, and, oh, I haven't seen you in so long and being able to reconnect. And so I think there's that kind of, to your point, being a little bit smaller also provides for some of those deeper connections and those abilities where people really do get to know each other. People really do build friendships, build professional relationships you feel comfortable asking questions. Uh, you know, I think when you get in some bigger organizations, sometimes it's like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm stupid if I ask this question. Or, you know, there's kind of a no judgment space in, you know, an IBA where it's like, hey, we get it. We've all been there. We've all started small companies and done these things. So it's like, it's okay to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to. Better to ask the question than to make the mistake. And that's, I think, the way we'd like to see the organization is, hey, we're here to help you ask those questions. We'd rather make you give you the right information so you don't make the mistake. Well, Don, thank you for today. And thank you for spending this part of your career kind of giving back to the industry, the industry at large. I think sometimes people take for granted that commitment, but I don't. I know the time it takes and you also have a board of, I don't know how many of us, you've got lots of voices <laughs> to manage. <laughs> we have a great board of lots of smart people with lots of ideas. And you are sort of the one left to sort of wrangle all of us. <laughs> so thank you for that too. <laughs> well, and Kelly, I want to say thank you also. You know, when we talk about people who are changing the industry, you're making a difference too. I want to tell you that that Beauty Matter Next Summit that you had was one of the most invigorating events that I've ever been to. And it was so totally different. You know, that takes courage to do something like that. And kudos to you and Beauty Matter for doing that. And it's rethinking things. And that's it's just so wonderful to see things like have that kind of new and fresh take on things. And so that's what we want to do. And, and thank you for doing the same thing. So really do appreciate it. Thank you, Don, for saying that. And also, you know, you and Akimi were also really supportive in, in sort of 
partnership of, you know, it took a village to pull that thing off. And, you know, it's all in the execution. So we weren't even sure if it was possible until the day of. So yeah, it was fun. And we already have our date picked for next year. So stay tuned. Can't wait. I'll, give me my registration information now. I'll sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Don. Thank you. I am Don. And for me, it's a matter of passion because that's what makes life worth living is really having that extra energy about everything you do. For Don, it's a matter of passion. After three and a half years in beauty, he recently left his role as Chief Innovation Officer at The Honest Company, dedicating his time to leading IBA, bringing a spirit of collaboration and a dedication to independent businesses in the beauty industry. Don leads by example, showing us all the importance of creating time to do good and making your knowledge matter. So in the end, it's a matter of passion. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.